Let's change the world together. Welcome to the Snapcast, the podcast for all nonprofit professionals, bringing you interviews and amazing ideas for nonprofit leaders. Hello, this is Mickey Desai, your host for this episode of the Nonprofit Snapcast. You may remember we recently did an episode with Trace Kingham down in Florida about things that nonprofits can do to sort of cope and innovate around uh, their event planning strategies and the light of what COVID-19 is doing to all of us in this country uh, with social distancing and isolating and stuff like that. And my friend Byron said to me, Mickey, why don't you talk about contract laws that may apply to that? Talk about force majeure, talk about acts of God and things like that. And my friend Susan Bio is joining us on the line today. Susan, are you there? Susan, you're still muted. I am. I am. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I, I'm actually having a little bit of feedback, so uh, hopefully you can hear me. I think you sound great. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, no, my pleasure. If I get it right, force majeure is a Latin term that basically means major force, right? Like some big thing has happened. And, uh, and, and is that the same thing as a, as a contractually stipulated act of God? Are the two terms synonymous? You know, acts of God are included in the list of what's called force majeure events. So they're not exactly synonymous. One is sort of included in the other, if that makes sense. Yep. And, you know, just, I, I know we've, there's a lot to talk about. I know that entire books have been written on the topic, but how do we scratch the surface for our listener? How do we tell the average nonprofit how to make their contracts work to their advantage if they can and, and protect themselves during these times? Well, first, obviously, if you don't already have a force majeure clause in your contract, it's too late if you're talking about the COVID-19. But going forward, you know, you should consider having one if under certain circumstances. For example, if you're going to do an exchange that happens almost immediately, probably not really worth it. I don't see them a lot in, you know, consulting type contracts that are personal service contracts, but but they certainly could be appropriate there. They're mainly used in in contracts where you agree to do something that's going to happen in the future that you're, you know, that you're fairly well counting on having happen. And something that if uh, an act of God or or some such thing comes up, it's okay to wait to perform. So it may be that you're signing an agreement for something that you're going to need on the 13th, period, end of story. And if this supplier can't provide that to you, then you just need to find another supplier. So a force majeure in that context would tend to be one that was written to let you out of the deal. You know, if, if you need to go to the next supplier immediately, uh, you'll need something in there that says, you know, if you breach, not really a force majeure um, agreement uh, mm-hmm. or term. But if you breach, we can go someplace else. Okay. But but if you if you are able to wait for that particular person to perform, um, if it's if it's a fairly unique supplier or something like that, then you can write a force majeure term that would allow that person of you know a few days leeway to actually get it together and and make something happen for you in the way that you originally agreed. Hopefully, so hopefully I've made I said that right and that that's pretty clear. So again, uh, the force majeure agreement isn't always 100% necessary, and it isn't always 100% um, appropriate. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be a little bit contextual based on, on your relationship with the seller or the supplier, the uniqueness of the product, et cetera. Mm-hmm. In terms of event planning, though, you know, if, if I'm a nonprofit and I'm signing an agreement to go rent out, say, uh, the old DeKalb County courthouse space, for a major event that I'm doing there, is, is this something I should put in standard language with an entity like that? 
it, it's hard to say. Is it, is your event something that if it happened 15 days after the original date, it would be fine? Most events don't work that way in my experience. Um, you need them to be on that day. And if they're not on that day, you need to be able to jump ship, you know, and, and find another supplier immediately if possible, and maybe come back to the original supplier for, for some kind of compensation because it will probably cost more right. or some such thing like that. On the other hand, if you can see this coming down the road a bit, you know, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it is appropriate. If, if you're planning to have, oh, I don't know, something that's a supply that's necessary for your event. Uh, and, and, you, and, you know, you have a few, a few weeks between the time you receive it and the event you know, maybe, maybe uh, you're willing to let them have that time back. So it's, again, it, it's hard to say. There are some other provisions you can write, as I kind of alluded to, such as, you know, clauses that would require the, the original supplier to compensate you for any losses you suffer due to the delay. For example, you know, it's a caterer and, and the caterer doesn't show up and you've negotiated a great price with this caterer, and then you have to run out and go to the grocery store and buy sandwich trays to replace that. And maybe they're like way more expensive. You know, you can write different clauses that have nothing to do with the act of God to cover that scenario. On the other hand, let's say, let's flip the script a little bit, and the event is to be hosted at a particular venue. And you want to be able to get out of it if something goes terribly wrong without any kind of consequences, then, then maybe you want the force majeure clause. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I can kind of, en- I can envision a couple of sort of narrow circumstances in which an FM clause might be appropriate um, for both sides. And so generally you want it to be fairly fair. And to that end, I wanted to just kind of mention, you know, let's assume for the sake of argument that you do need a, a force majeure clause for whatever reason. You want to be to have the ability to reschedule that event a little bit later if something that is unforeseen interferes with the performance originally. Say, for example, um, you know, in this case, the government shuts everything down and you're not allowed to have your event, but you want to you know, you want to keep that contract going and you want a period of time to maybe, maybe be able to work it around it. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a venue that has different locations and one of the locations is not shut down for some reason. You know, maybe, maybe there was a, a bad, a bad health report or something uh, at that particular venue and you want to be able to do something else and allow that, allow that event venue to find an alternative for you. I, I'm reaching, but but like I said, very limited circumstances that I think this would actually be helpful for um, event situations. In that event, you you want to look for a couple different things. You know, I call I kind of break up the sections that you see in any force majeure event or force majeure clause rather into kind of two different contexts or two different ideas. The first, the generally what you tend to see is the first sentence talks about what is a force majeure event for the purposes of this contract. The second concept is what happens in the event this is triggered. Uh, and, 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 and what I mean by trigger is one of these things happens. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the first thing that I think that goes into the force majeure clause, if you were to have a contract where it was appropriate, is you, know, you want the first sentence to be as 
broad as possible in a certain way. You don't want it written like an insurance statement, for example, where these events and only these events would trigger force majeure. I've seen them written that like, if a party's unable to perform its obligations under this agreement because of this, 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 and this, only those things will trigger the force majeure. If, if it's written more broadly, it would look more like if somebody's unable to perform due to reasons beyond its reasonable control without fault and negligence, such as this, 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 and this. Right. And the this, 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 and this includes that act of God. The question that I don't know the answer to, frankly, is, is a pandemic an act of God? Right. It might seem fairly obvious that it should be included in that because, you know, who could foresee it happening? It's a natural event in the sense that it's a biological agent that was introduced into the population and it's spread the way that pandemics typically do. Mm-hmm. But until right this moment, mostly acts of God are being interpreted as tornadoes, hurricanes, right. <laughs> earthquakes, you know, <laughs> forest fires, stuff like that. So this, this will probably be an interesting uh, case to see how act of God is interpreted. Uh, I know, for example, in like travel insurance policies, act of God is translated as what I said, you know, these events that are, that are mainly weather related or something like that. And they might throw in quarantine. Mm -hmm. right, as well, which is a government act. So my argument is for the second kind of thing that's that's fairly broad, things that are beyond your reasonable control. And that would cover things like the president of the United States has barred all travel from Europe. You know, that is is beyond your reasonable control, and it wasn't due to your own negligence or fault in any way, shape, or form. You know, you booked a ticket and you couldn't come. Right. So, So yeah. No, I was going to say, I mean, I'm, I'm still sort of stunned at the notion that people would not look at pandemic as an act of God uh, in, a, in a legal sense, because who could control it? And, <laughs> and if, it's not, if it's not that, then what is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not saying they won't. I'm yeah. saying, you know, it hasn't really come up that much. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it, it's not to say that with a lot of research, I couldn't find an instance in which a disease was considered an act of God. And maybe, maybe it is. It's going to mm-hmm. depend on your state. It's going to depend on what courts have found uh, or if there's any kind of statutory provision in that state wrapped around what is an act of God, then, you know, it it will be in there. All I'm saying is be prepared. It's not always true. And -hmm. just because you assume that a quote unquote natural disaster would include something like a viral agent or an act of God would include a viral agent, not a simple question. It's not self-evident. So it would, it would require some, uh, uh, jurisdictional, contextual, legal research to answer that question. In addition to acts of God, typical provisions you'll see are strikes, equipment or transmission failures, you know, government intervention, changes in law, etc. I know that when I am on the vendor side, I don't want to see anything about strikes in there. And if I do see anything about strikes in there, I want it to look like it's a third-party strike. So it's not your employees, it's not my employees. Because uh, as a vendor, I want them to perform. You know, I want the person that I'm buying from, right, the supplier, to do it. And if their people go on strike, I want them just to pay their people more or satisfy their other claims. I want them just to have health insurance or whatever it takes to get my stuff. So I tend to push back on labor insurrections, riots, that kind of thing. If unless it's maybe third parties, I might compromise there. But again, generally, both parties want that front end to be fairly wide open 
And, and we would argue later about whether the reason was beyond your reasonable control. You know, if you were literally operating a sweatshop in, you know, a foreign country where that sort of thing is not illegal necessarily, and your people all left and went on strike, maybe that was beyond your reasonable. I mean, that was not beyond your reasonable. Maybe that was within your reasonable control because you could have literally just paid them more, right? Mm-hmm. And and you should eat that because you're my supplier and you should not change my price because that's what we're negotiating right now. So that risk should be exclusively yours. Um, and, and, and the same the same with me. So um, I am planning an event. I have the hall, you know, all booked. But all of a sudden, uh, there's a quarantine. And now I can't let you, the caterer, come into this event site because we're not allowed to have public gatherings. Now, as a caterer, you were counting on that money. Is it your fault that this all happened? No. Mm-hmm. So you want your money. You know, you're ready to cater. You're ready to perform. Your people all came to work. You've got sandwich supplies, you know, up in the, in the, in the pantry waiting to be assembled. And now all of a sudden, you're not permitted to perform your part of the agreement and you still want to be paid. So there's again where uh, that force majeure clause that I've talked about that's rather broad and just talks about reasonable control, both parties may actually want that in their in their contract, that kind of statement. And it, but then but then the the real conflict comes in the consequence statements. So if you're the buyer you want to say, if you're being a great guy about this and saying, okay, fine, for force majeure, you don't have to perform right away. You're going to want the consequence to be that, you know, you have a fairly short runway to perform mm-hmm. in good faith. And after, you know, five, 10, 15 days, depending on the circumstance, you know, as the buyer, you want to be able to walk away from that agreement and find someone else to perform. But if you're the supplier, you don't want anything like a 15-day limit. You want to be able to say something like, okay, well, you know, we're going to provide you the written notice, and now we're going to use commercially reasonable efforts to remove such causes and resume performance, or maybe just to resume performance, right? Like you, commercially reasonable given the context. You know, you're, you're a maker of something that, that takes a while to replace so something bad happens. There's an act of God. A fissure opens up in the road in front of the truck, delivering your completed product and swallows it whole, you know. And now you want to be able to perform and you want to be able to invoke the force majeure clause, but you have to go back to scratch and remanufacture that custom-made order. And that's going to take you a month, you know. So 15 days a 15-day limit, in the sake, for the sake of example, would um, give the buyer the right to cancel the contract and go buy their custom-made product from someone else. If you have commercially reasonable efforts in, in lieu of an actual date to resume performance or to, to complete performance, then, it, you know, given the context, they knew they were ordering a custom-made product, they knew the lead time was a month, gives you a little, time, a little extra time to get that done. So, so that's where I see the real friction between the two parties is in the what happens next clause, if you will, the consequence uh, of, of the force majeure event being triggered. I, I think there, there, there tends to be more agreement on the what is a force majeure event, less agreement on what happens as a result of it. Um, and that's where the push and pull of who has the greater market power happens. So we're coming close to the end of our time. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything in the way? Could you share a couple of examples of how this might look from different perspectives, or, or like from a, a nonprofit's perspective that's planning an event, a fundraiser? Um, I, you know, I think that certainly the 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 contractors, the suppliers who are bringing in supplies that um, you know uh, rely on a series, a chain of events. So, like for example, a caterer may want one of these. You know, you may you may want one as well, but I think that I think that from the from the nonprofit's perspective, just think about what happens if what happens if uh, there's a car accident. Well, car accident's a bad example because that's probably somebody's fault. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, like there you know uh, there is um, like I said, your caterer, the the health department comes in and shuts them down. That's their fault. That's not a force majeure event. But think about you know way way what would be the what would be the result of something happening? Um, a flood, you know, a natural disaster sort of flood happens. You know, it's rising water, not falling water, which is a big deal in insurance claims. You know, yeah. falling water is not covered, rising water is. So, so the catering facility uh, is flooded through a natural disaster. Maybe you know about that in enough time that you can give them extra time to perform. But mainly at that point, you just want out. So you want to be able to go find yourself another caterer. So think a lot about, you know, if if your supplier wants one of these FM agreements, and, and typically I think in this context it would tend to be them asking for it, then think about what what is the result of that. You know, you can cancel without breach, you know, mm-hmm. because it's obvious they can't perform in the future. But for for performance that's going to happen really close to your event, you know, I think that I would tend to want something else besides a force majeure clause, and that would be something that would compensate you for any additional costs that you would incur mm-hmm. if they failed to perform. I would want some kind of, uh, you know, indemnification clause if, if as a result of the haul not being able to perform because it's burned to the ground through nobody's fault, a lightning strike or an earthquake happened or something that, you know, the event site was damaged through no fault or the government shut them down or something. I would want the ability to get the event people to compensate you enough to pay for your damages to the caterer who now can't perform through no fault of their own. So it, 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 in a way, event planning is complicated enough that you almost have to look at each individual component mm-hmm. of the whole plan that comes together and really try and sit there and think about, like, if this one can't perform, it leaves this hole. Where do, what do I do? What happens? What should happen? Sometimes maybe that is a force majeure clause. Sometimes it's something else that you need to protect you and to protect all the other people who are relying on the performance of that one person. Sometimes the performance is scheduled to happen sometime before. Say the event planner, they wrap up the plan for you sometime before. If something were to happen to that event planner, whether it was their fault, maybe it's one kind of clause. If it wasn't their fault, maybe it's another kind of clause. But you know well enough in advance, maybe Mm -hmm. the force majeure trigger works. You know, and and maybe it doesn't. Maybe, like I said, it's some kind of loss limitation type of clause or some other kind of uh, remedy uh, to help make everybody right if that person fails to perform, even if it's not their fault. So maybe I've opened more questions than I've solved. (laughs) 
no, this is fascinating stuff. And I, I you know, we're going to have to revisit it at some point, if you don't mind and talk some more about these kinds of things. If a listener did have questions for you, how would they get in contact with you? Um, you know, I think the best way to probably find it is uh, just through the website, southernbizlaw.com. That's S-O-U-T-H-E-R-N-B-I-Z-L-A-W.com. Phone numbers and all that stuff um, is, is out there. Okay, great. Thank you, Susan, for taking the time to do this recording with us today. Thank you for asking. It's been fun. Thank you. Yes. And uh, to our listener, thank you for joining us. Uh, We hope you find this uh, conversations informative. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to find me via my own website. That's nonprofitsnapcast.org. And thanks. Also, if you have a moment, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those ratings make us easier to find for other people. And uh, we'll see you again with another nonprofit Snapcast episode in about a week. This has been the Snapcast. Thank you for joining us.